0: Listener Production. Imposter syndrome is the feeling at a very deep level of not being good enough. It's that belief that if somebody could really see what I was like, they might not think that I was as talented as they seem to think at the moment. It's focusing on our mistakes, on our weaknesses and those sorts of things, rather than recognizing that we have strengths and successes. And at an extreme level, it feels for some people like they're being fakes or frauds. They're actually pulling the wool over somebody else's eyes.
1: I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, and this is Fast Track. (sighs) Hardly a week goes by without hearing or reading about the syndrome called imposter syndrome the feeling of being a fraud, or as one client described it to me, waiting for my boss to come in and tell me I've made a mistake and I'm not up to it. So what is imposter syndrome and why do we think we have it and what happens to us when we're in it? I've heard lots of opinions on imposter syndrome and if it even really exists. So I've invited an expert, Suzanne Mercier, to chat about what it is, why it occurs and what to do about it. Suzanne is an expert on imposter syndrome, and for over 30 years, she's been working with mindset, motivation, and behavior through her career in marketing and advertising. She's an author of the book, Liberating Leadership, and she's a speaker and advisor of note to major companies and institutions. Suzanne, I'm so excited you're able to join us. Thanks so much, Margie, and it's lovely to be here, thank you. People have been asking me for years, what is imposter syndrome and how can I get over it? So over to you, what is imposter syndrome?
0: Imposter syndrome is the feeling at a very deep level of not being good enough. It's that belief that if somebody could really see what I was like, they might not um, think that I was as talented as they seem to think at the moment. It's focusing on our mistakes, on our weaknesses and those sorts of things, rather than recognizing that we have strengths and successes. And at an extreme level, it feels for some people like they're, they're being fakes or frauds. They're actually pulling the wool over somebody else's eyes. And if we've had successes and and it is associated with having some success, then we often will think that it was very, very good luck or somebody else's mistakenly positive view of us. And if it's impossible to ignore that we have had that success, it's objectively there in an annual report or something like that, then people that I work with and myself included tend to get very stressed about being able to pull the rabbit out of the hat again. So it's pretty severe. It impacts about 70% of people at some level, but about 30% of people experience it at a chronic level, um, meaning that it influences everything that they see
1: and think about. So here's a controversial question. Isn't it just low confidence or anxiety manifesting itself in the workplace? Confidence actually is an outcome of self-esteem. Self-esteem is that feeling of not being good enough, that
0: belief that that we're not really worthy, that if somebody could see us or, or really stand in our shoes, they would understand that we aren't as good as they might think that we actually are. It drives our confidence so that it's very difficult for us to have any sustainable sense of confidence without addressing the issue of how we see ourselves, the beliefs that we hold about ourselves, the stories that we tell ourselves.
1: So Suzanne, you've had a really successful career in marketing and advertising. Why did this part of our work life pique your interest? Oh, absolutely. I've, I have loved mindsets for a very long time.
0: And I didn't realise until I had the benefit of hindsight that actually the the first experience that I had of imposter syndrome was in the advertising industry. I'd been there for about 12 months and I went to an event and, and one of the fellows um, who was a director said to me, well, how do you think you're going? And I said, oh, I'm not sure. And they said, no, neither are we. So 12 more months went past and I I was working like crazy trying to figure out what this was all about because I came from fast-moving consumer goods marketing, which is quite different to advertising. I thought they were the same or similar, but they're not. Um, One of them is all about knowing everything about a product, but the other one's about knowing about what you have to communicate in a 30-second television commercial to shift somebody's thinking. So I was out of my depth and I didn't really know how to handle that. So I was sitting at my desk one day, got a telephone call from the executive assistant for Alex Hamill, who was the managing director of George Pats at the time, asking me to come up immediately walked up to his office and all the way up, I was thinking, I'm going to get fired. I, I actually was so terrified that I was about to get fired and that I would not be gracious about it, that I would burst into tears or do something equally feminine about it. But I got there and I actually was surprised, to cut a longer story short, to hear that I'd been appointed the first woman on the board of George Pat's advertising. And I just didn't get how they saw me and how I saw me. I just didn't, didn't understand how this could, could even coexist in the same space. So I was there for about two years after that, and um, the whole time I was waiting for the sword of Damocles to descend upon me, and it didn't, so I I beat them to it and resigned. And it was only with many years later when I looked back and realised that was the imposter syndrome. I was just so out of my depth and somebody else might have grabbed the opportunity uh, and run with it. But for me, it was like, what on earth am I doing here? And they're going to figure out that I don't belong. So it was a classic situation of um, the uncertainty that came up from thinking that somebody saw me differently. That's such a great
1: story on how it piqued your interest. Mm. How does imposter syndrome manifest more specifically in others? What are the symptoms that we'll be seeing?
0: So how it actually comes about to begin with is that we may be confident most of the time. We may be feeling you know, terrific about what we're doing and how life is going. And suddenly we get a curveball thrown at us and it causes us to feel uncertain. It might be that we've been pushed or pulled into doing something that we haven't done before. We feel uncertain. It brings up those feelings of not being good enough and we react And it's the reaction that actually causes the problem. Because if we just if we were able to just say, "Okay, I'm having that moment of self-doubt, I know what it is, all good, I'll handle it. That's one thing. But what we tend to do, on the other hand, is actually engage in behaviours that help reduce the incredible discomfort of feeling like we're not good enough and thinking that other people are going to figure that out. So we might withdraw. We might basically not contribute anything to a session on innovation or a conversation that's a pretty critical conversation. Or we might take everything personally and become quite defensive. And that can mean we don't get good feedback on how we can improve our performance, for example. Or we might become what I call ineffective workaholics, which is the perfection driver coming through. Um, And I dot the I's and cross the T's so many times because I just want to make sure it's perfect. And that also gets in the way of collaboration, because if I'm making sure that nothing can be found that's wrong with what I do, it's not leaving space for anybody else. Uh, It can also be that I turn into a shrinking violet, so I hide and I don't want anyone to notice me because if they notice me, then they'll figure out maybe I don't belong there, which is what I did on the board of George Pat's, I might tell you. (laughs) So that means that we're not contributing the talents and capabilities that we have. Uh, It could also be that we become incredibly judgmental. And we wind up judging other people for not living up to a set of standards that we hold as being the way that they should operate. In that case, what we also do is judge ourselves probably more than we would judge anybody else. But it creates an environment that's not very engaging. It creates a, a, an environment where people are a bit nervous to be seen by you and to be, you know, to have an, any engagement with you because they feel judged and rejected or found wanting. Or there's the the really doozy one, which is that they might actually go into behavior that proves that they are good enough. And I call that the daredevil. So what that behavior is all about is, I know I'm not good enough. Well, I suspect I'm not good enough, but I'm going to go for it anyway, because they might not figure it out. And I might get all the way to the top. And what happens often is that is the case. And, And the daredevil will actually go for what they really want without really considering the impact that it might have on other people. So they don't, you know, that someone else comes along behind them and tends to pick up the pieces of the broken egos that have been um, trodden on on the way. I'm exaggerating that slightly, but it's a, everybody needs a little bit of daredevil. But when we've got too much of that, then that winds up being a major problem. But those behaviours come in really quickly when we're in that situation where we feel uncertain. So they reduce the feeling of not being good enough and, and they restore some feeling of control. But they also take away the opportunity to figure out what's actually going on.
1: So it's like a cover-up, really, for our deep sense of low self-esteem, as you mentioned earlier. Absolutely. It sort of sounds exhausting, to be frank. Yes. Coming into work and having all of those manifestations, all of those symptoms, Yeah, are most people aware that this is going on for them, that there is a voice inside their head that says, you're not good enough, you better cover this up in some way?
0: Yes, absolutely, they are. I think the, the biggest thing when I first started talking about it was that people suddenly said, oh, my goodness, it's not just me because people won't say anything about it. They It feels very shameful. They feel that they're not good enough and they really don't want anybody else to know that. So when they hear that everybody else is exactly the same, or maybe they have their own version of it, but you know, they're, they're the same, they, they feel that feeling of not being good enough, it might be a different set of circumstances that trigger it for them and they still feel at times they're not good enough. And that's incredibly liberating. So that's the first thing is, is you know, just realise you're not alone and it's actually quite normal, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, of course. And then that awareness gives you a choice to go mm. and seek some support and help. Yes, I know in my experiences and your story that this goes to the very highest levels of a career. It's not just something someone may experience on the first day of the job. Absolutely.
0: Well, many of my clients are at the top level. and uh, And just recently I was coaching a woman who's made a move from a um, very senior role within a very large multinational organisation and just two down, I think it is, and then she's moved across to the CEO of a smaller organisation but with full responsibility and she went through a major identity crisis. So, you know, it's, it's uh, that sort of thing. We, we experience it all the way through our careers and we you know, the things that bothered me 10, 15, 20 years ago, they're not even a blip on the radar now, but other things do come up, other areas of uncertainty as, you know, life and careers progress
1: Yeah, and we're always learning, right? Absolutely. So once we acknowledge that, I think it's quite exciting. So let's get to the cure, so to speak. (laughs) I know that if you Google this topic, you'll find the three tips to imposter syndrome cure or a couple of light ideas about it. Mm. Are any of those real or is there something else we need to be looking at? Is it harder than just three top tips for our way out of imposter syndrome? Thank you. I'm holding my, holding back. It's, like,
0: <laughs> it's a subject that I get very passionate about. Look, I think it's great to have an idea that you can move forward on it. The challenge with those three tips is that Like the, like those sabotaging behaviors, you, it can take away the pain. So it actually, I think I'm cured and, and then I'm not prepared for the next time that it comes back up again because it doesn't take it away. It just relieves it in the moment. It is a journey. And it's a journey home because, because what, we've, what we've done over the years is we've layered over ourselves, you know, all the beliefs that other people have instilled in us. We've layered our own experiences and we, we lose contact with who we actually are. So we have this whole set of beliefs and things that around us that, that don't support us. So it is a journey. And so people ask me, will you ever get past it? And the answer is, I don't know the answer to that because what happens is something different comes up, as I said before. But the way that I feel now is so very different than I did feel uh, when I started that journey 15, 20 years ago for myself. So I think that the first thing, as I said, was take comfort that you're not alone. Uh, that certainly is a big part of it. We can certainly address perfection. That's another part of it and the judgment that comes with that. And I know you did an excellent episode on that a little while back. Was fantastic. So, that perfection is such a, an insidious um, driver, if you like. And, and it comes from that feeling of, of not having a, a sense of self worth or feeling that the only standard that's worthy is perfection, which holds us back in so many ways. So, that certainly is another area that we need to address. And, and it's not like I can say just fix perfection, because as you know, there's a whole depth of things that go with that. The other thing we can do is listen to the story that we tell ourselves, because what we do with our stories is we just keep re-embedding, re-embedding, re-embedding the limitations that we that we think that we uh, is part of the way that we show up, and it doesn't have to be. So we can change our story when we catch it and understand it, and and write down well what must I believe to be telling myself that kind of story. We can start to unearth some of those deep seated beliefs and change the story, which is really powerful. The other thing is, and I can't say this enough, build your resilience because, you know, we're in a situation where things are going to come at us that we have no way of anticipating, we can't control. The only thing we can control is our own response and... When we feel resilient and we've dealt with some of the stuff like we're not going to take it personally, but we're looking at what's positive in life, not what's going wrong. All those areas like flipping the negative, keeping gratitude journals, those kinds of things that really focus us on what is strong and positive. It gives us so much more capability to handle the difficult things when they come at us. And, and there are difficult times in any career, in any situation. And, and I think as we get a little older, I'll speak for myself, you know, you go through those ups and downs and you know, you're going to come out the other side. So it's just about building that resilience and resourcefulness to get you there. I guess the final thing, if you can do those things and start to work on some of those, then you're possibly in a a situation where you can start to see your strengths and their value and your successes and your role in them. Because when we feel like imposters, we dismiss that. We either don't see the strengths and successes that we've had, or we don't recognize their value because we think if we can do it, then anybody must be able to do it. Therefore, it's not that special. So um, I get people to take two pieces of paper and draw a line down the middle and write strengths on one side. And before they can even write weaknesses on the other side, I write value so that they start to uh, write down what they're really good at. And I was surprised how traumatic that exercise can be. Uh, So people find it quite uncomfortable. Maybe they've been taught that they shouldn't brag or that they, you know, it's not right to be writing all those things out. Or maybe they don't recognise that they're special. It is such a fabulous exercise to do. When you've written as much of the strengths as you can, then think about what does that allow you to do that would be useful? in your career, in your uh, in your conversations, in your brainstorming sessions, in your team meetings, those sorts of things, and really you know, start to see the value that you bring. And same with successes, we often dismiss our role in them. But we'll get to a point where we haven't got enough, like we've, we've exhausted our list and, and we may, you know, some people have only three things there and other people have a whole list of things, but it, so it varies for each of us. But then find somebody that you really trust to actually help you expand that list, get outside of yourself, see yourself from a different perspective. And it doesn't mean you have to take it on as gospel truth. It just means that it's giving you other ideas and you can check in to see whether they resonate or not. So those are a few ways that you can start to do it. But what what happens is there, you're increasing your healthy self-esteem and your resilience so that you don't go into that low state of self-esteem, which leads to confidence. And confidence is the key to everything.
1: Yeah, of course. And as you're talking there, Suzanne. I keep thinking it's like you're retraining the narrative, you're retraining the self-talk, you're retraining the perspective of it doesn't always have to be perfect but I'll do my best rather than I'm not good enough, I can't make this happen and Mm. I hope no one catches me out. Absolutely. And as an entrepreneur, I've had to get more comfortable with
0: that, with retraining my perspective, because I made mistakes left, right and centre. And when we think that mistakes are that and we judge ourselves for them, then we we actually deny ourselves the opportunity to learn. So uh, it's it's fantastic. And I, I still work in this area. I still work on myself in this area. So it's really about saying, well, what's the next step for, for anybody who wants to do anything about it? And that is to learn more about what's going on, to start to really pay attention to the voice, the you know, conversations that you have, the stories that you tell. And uh, I'm always very happy to talk to anybody if they want to get in touch with me. And I do have some online programs that are very accessible and um, and make a big difference, apparently. So that's
1: wonderful. Fantastic. And it's always good to have opportunities to learn and grow in these environments, Once our interest has peaked, like yours was a long time ago, is there a test you can take to measure your levels of imposter syndrome?
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, I do have a quiz, 10 questions on whether you experience the imposter syndrome. And I have uh, a quiz on how you're sabotaging that confidence, as I was referring to earlier. And they're actually on uh, my suzannemercia.com.au website,
1: Okay, fantastic. So there is an evidence base around these questions and how you score.
0: Yes. Well, the the diagnostics around the sabotage behaviours, I've I've run with thousands of people now because I've been running those for the last probably 15 years.
1: Mm. So, yeah. And is this a syndrome that's particularly attached to a gender or is it something that's universal for everybody and cross-cultural in the workplace?
0: Absolutely. There's definitely, uh, there was at one stage the thought that it was only women. Uh, They've now mapped out across uh, across men and women, and they experience that at the same level. And then they've mapped it out across minorities. I think that the key is people who feel uncertain, and some groups will feel more uncertain than others. Men have the imposter syndrome at the same level as women do, so that 70%, 30% figure that I quoted earlier – but they handle it very differently they've been taught from a very young age and I am grossly generalizing here they're taught to not to cry not to give in to things but to fake it till they make it because you know that's what men do and and so they um, don't experience the bigger impact of the imposter syndrome in the short term but they experience it later when there is a significant division between who they really are and how they've been showing up for a long time. For women, they experience it more now because they can tend to hold back. They don't go for jobs, as you know, until they've got 12 out of 10 of the competencies. And so we can often hold ourselves back and not, not speak up or not, um, not make our contribution, not, uh, not put ourselves forward for opportunities, not ask for help. Those kinds of things are typical behaviours when we feel like we're not good enough. And so we pay the price in the short term. Maybe the long term as well. I don't know, but I think when we, when we get on that path of addressing what's going on for us, then then certainly that's not the case.
1: How did the term come about, and where did it first get coined? Do you know?
0: Yes, I do. Um, back in the 1970s, the late 1970s, um, two psychologists were working at Georgia State University in Atlanta, in the US, and they encountered uh, some talented PhD students and master's students who had got distinctions all the way through their careers. And in their last hurdle, if you like, they were starting to feel like they were going to fail. So they were freaking out. So they both um, Suzanne Eames and Pauline Rose Clance looked at this subject and and discovered what they then called the imposter phenomenon and describe those symptoms that I referred to earlier, that there's a feeling of not being good enough, of feeling like a fake and a fraud, and all those situations arose there. There've been a number of studies that have been done since then that have ratified those figures and expanded on that a little bit. But yes, certainly it's it's very prevalent. But the thing about it is that it's latent until something happens in our environment that causes it to be triggered. And that's the uncertainty that I was referring to earlier. So, And I've got a great story. Which, which happened to me, which illustrates that. I was talking to a group of women who are um, chief executive women, very senior women who'd been in corporate environments and things like that. And they were very a very discerning audience, let me put it that way. They're fabulous. And I was talking and I was about or two-thirds of the way through my keynote. And I was talking about the incidents and, and something right as we're talking now and out of the blue, out of the left side of my, because I couldn't see everybody, out of the left side of my eye, I saw this woman reaching into the sky and throwing her hands in the air and, and, and yelling, and I've got a question and I want to know, um, is, does this happen to, and she calmed down as she was telling the, asking the question, but is this, is this typical behaviour or typical situation for everybody in, throughout the world? I mean, is it, does it favour any particular country or any particular culture? But by the time she finished saying, I'm a psychiatrist and I want to know, I went blank, completely blank. I just, my head was filled with white noise and I just stood there on the stage, everybody's worst nightmare, and just started to do a bit, a bit, a bit, my Ilma Fudd impression. And and apparently it was only a very short space of time. It felt to me like it was ages. But when it cleared, I laughed because I said, oh, my goodness, I've just given you the best demonstration of the imposter syndrome. I thought you had more right to be on the stage than I did because I'm not a psychologist. And then I went on to say I'm not standing here as a psychologist and, and, and explained it. But. It threw me completely. And that was a triggering event. The triggering event. That was her challenging me Mm. that brought up, and so I got a chance to think about it, and I thought, well, why would I have reacted that way? And I realised that there was a belief that I had that I had no right to speak on anything if I didn't have the qualifications
1: to do it. Which is quite common in my experience amongst the people that I work with. Yes. So the term imposter syndrome is accepted worldwide We're really clear about what it is and it triggers something that's latent inside us at different times. And if we become aware of it, as you did on stage or going up to the managing director at George Pat's, once we become aware of that inner voice, you're saying that taking action to understand ourselves better and understand the manifestations it has and then our ability to retrain our brain and the behaviours as best we can. Yes, Are there any last tips or ideas for listeners to take away, Suzanne?
0: Yeah, if this has resonated at all, the suggestion that I would have is do something about it, uh, whatever you choose to do. Uh, For me, I discovered it in my 40s. You know, if I would discovered it in my 20s, I don't know what I would have done or could have done. So I think, I think that the whole thing about resolving the imposter syndrome or at least lessening its impact is that it opens up a world of possibilities. And, and that's when life can get exciting and, and careers can get exciting and businesses can get exciting. So, you know, everybody has amazing qualities and amazing capabilities. And, and if we can just see the value, then we can see how we can be of service. And if we start to bring that to the organisations that we work with a lot more than we have, then it, it sort of becomes the overarching culture of an organisation to be of service and to make a difference, which I think is where business has to go.
1: Suzanne Mercia, thank you so much for your time today. Your insights and the opportunity to talk about this mystery that is imposter syndrome, Thanks for joining us on Fast Track. Thank
0: you very much, Margie. I'm absolutely delighted to have been here.
1: Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley. Producer, Tina Matilov. Audio production by Nikki Sitch. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. Listener.